Well, hey, it's great to be with you this morning. So excited. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, that's where we're going to be spending most of the day as we continue our series, When. And Pastor Brian started that last week, and we talked about the Israelites as they were coming right up to the promised land. I don't know if you remember the story. We'll recap it real quickly. But what had happened was God had delivered them from slavery and had brought them through the wilderness, brought them right up to the edge of the promised land and said, go in, I'll, I'll give it to you. This is, this is the land I have prepared for you. And they went up and they looked at the land and they saw that it was good. They saw that it was bountiful, that what God had for them was amazing, was abundant. And so they were right up on the edge but there were obstacles in the way. See, they went in and they saw that, I mean, there's giants in there. We can't defeat these people. They're, we can't go in. I mean, th these people, we looked like grasshoppers to them. That's what they said. I don't know why they said grasshoppers, but that's what they said. We looked like grasshoppers to them. We could never defeat them. And so what they did was they knew where God wanted to take them. They got right up to the edge. They saw the obstacle. And instead of stepping out in faith and doing something that, would have been difficult, but God would have brought them through. Instead, God said, that's fine. If you don't want to go in, you'll wander in the wilderness. And that's what they did. They missed out on God's abundant blessing. And, and, and he referenced how Jesus in the New Testament, he echoes this blessing that God wants to give you and I abundant life. That, that's what Jesus said. He says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have abundant life. But if we're being honest, if we're being honest, which we can do that today, not everybody's walking in that abundant life that God promised. And just like the Israelites, sometimes we can be right on the edge, right on the edge of where God's calling us. And there's one step we have to take, and we see this obstacle, and we can either hold back or we can go through it. And see, to last week, I hope, I really hope that you decided that this year is going to be the year that you don't say when anymore. God's not going to have to wait on you anymore. You're going to go. So when God says go, you're going to go. And so I hope last year you made that, or last week, you made that commitment that this year you're going to go wherever God calls you. And let me tell you, I, if you did, I'm so excited for you. I, and some of you have made that commitment years ago and you just renewed it, said, yes, this year I'm going to go where God calls me. But as soon as you begin this journey, I'll tell you, there's an obstacle that comes in the way of some of us, and it's going to be the very first thing we have to deal with, and that's unforgiveness. That's unforgiveness. And um, I, I, I want you to hear this verse that Jesus says about forgiveness, just because it, it, it sums up in just a short, short passage what unforgiveness is and how important it is that we deal with it if it's something we're struggling with. It's Mark 11, verses 24 and 25. Here's what it says. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So here we are. Jesus is giving one of the greatest teachings on prayer, but he finishes it talking about what? Forgiveness. He finishes it talking about forgiveness. And what he's saying is you could be praying the most sincere prayer. You could have faith. You could believe. You could even be quoting a promise out of the Bible and say, Here's a, here it is. Here's the promise, God. You said, I believe all these things, but it says this. While you're praying, if you, hold, if you have anything against anyone, you need to forgive that person so that I can answer your prayer. See, he, he gives us two conditions right here. He says, if you're going to forgive, or if I'm going to answer your prayer, you need to forgive. And if you want me to forgive your sins, you need to forgive. He, he, he shows us how important it is. So, but when do we need to forgive? When do we need to forgive? This passage tells us that. It's pretty simple. It's when we hold anything against anyone. You see the passage here? It says, we need to forgive. It says, if you hold anything against anyone. So uh, just do, do this with me. Think with me, okay? It's if I'm holding something that someone else has given me that, that now I'm holding on to. Any kind of offense, anything that someone may have said to me that I've just kind of, I want to hold on to that. And it, and it kind of impacts maybe how I treat them. It's not, it's not saying, hey, you know, I've let this thing go. I've moved on, but I'm still holding it. It's still fresh. 
And it's against anyone. Now, we have to think about this anyone because I know you might think, yeah, I can't hold anything against my family member. But what about, what about the person that you don't like? Are you holding something against them? Because Jesus talks about how we're supposed to treat our enemies is the same way we're supposed to treat our friends. And he says, if you love only those who love you, is that love at all? Is that even love? And so if I'm holding anything against anyone, that's when we need to forgive. And see, what, what, causes, what causes us to hold something against someone? It's really, it's pretty simple. It's when we're offended. It, it's, it's this word offense, okay? And it's not, not a word maybe that you use a whole lot, but I just, I think it sums it up. It's we're offended. It could be that someone would treat us a certain way, that someone would say something to us. But you can be offended without words, right? In fact, it, a lot of times it's what someone didn't say to you that might offend you. The fact that you were overlooked for a position. The fact that in class, it, it's, you're being treated unfairly. You're being left out. You can be offended. And these offenses happen to everyone. You cannot go through life without these coming at you. Probably weekly, for some of us, we may say, yeah, I have that happen daily. I have things coming at me that I could hold on to and could change the way I treat people. In fact, it could just kind of change my attitude for the whole day. This is... This is is what I'm talking about. It's just these offenses. And I, can, I could never list all the ways that you could be offended, but there's something I want to tell you about offense. There's a few statements I want you to think about. Maybe you won't even write them down, but here's one. There is nothing worse to die holding on to than offense. Well, think about that for a second. There is nothing worse to die holding on to than offense. Now, there are some things probably that are just as bad, right? I'm not saying it's worse than others, but when we hold on to unforgiveness and the way we understand God's word, he says, I'm going to forgive you as you forgive others. Do I want to hold unforgiveness in my life? Do I want to do that? And not only that, but unforgiveness, not only is it, it, is it kill us spiritually, right? He says, I, I can't even answer your prayers, when you're praying, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you've got to let it go. But not only will it do that, but also, do you know that offense and unforgiveness is a tool that the enemy uses? 2 Corinthians 2 says this. Uh, it's a passage. It's talking about this man that's offended uh, the church, and he has sinned against them, and what he did was wrong. I want to clear that up. What he did was wrong, but he says, listen, what you've said, how you've dealt with him has been penalty enough. Now you need to forgive him. And here's what verse 11 says. So that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. We're familiar with his schemes. And let me tell you, aren't we familiar with how unforgiveness can tear apart families? Aren't we familiar with how people being offended can destroy a workplace and make it toxic? Aren't we familiar with how unforgiveness can split a church? I mean, aren't we familiar how unforgiveness could cause I, I, just someone who was offended, maybe no one even said anything to them. They were overlooked. They could leave the church and never go back again, leave the community of faith because of one offense. Aren't we familiar with how the enemy uses offense and unforgiveness? And what, what happens is this. This is what he's saying. When I hold on to offense, when I hold on to unforgiveness, whether I want to or not, what I'm doing is I'm opening the door. I'm giving a foothold to the enemy in my family, in my church, in my Sunday school class, in my work. Wherever you are, you're, you're opening the door. I mean, this is a thing he uses, and, and, and all of a sudden, sides get created. And you know, sometimes, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm a youth pastor, sometimes with high school girls, you can just sit back. And you can just watch this take place, right? And you're just like, whoa, okay. You know, and, and it can almost be funny because sometimes they'll, you know, they'll work it out and then they'll laugh about it later. Yeah, I don't know as mad. But you know what? It's not funny when 100 people leave the church because of someone said something, right? And that happened at my last church. It's not funny when someone um, just totally leaves their family, when someone who says, hey, I, I just found out I'm terminal, but don't tell my mom. I know of someone that was. Because of, they were offended, they were hurt from something in the past. It's not funny at all, and that, that's what offense does. That's what unforgiveness does. Um, and, and, and in his book, uh, 
The Bait of Satan, John Bevere, talks about offense. Okay, it's a great book that kind of continues this discussion if you ever wanted to read it. But he talks about how being offended, it's like a trap. And I, and I think that's what this verse is saying. It's saying when, when we open the door it's, it, 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 to, and we won't forgive, it's like a trap. And you can get caught in it. And, and there are negative effects that we can experience and that those around us will experience spiritually, relationally, all because of unforgiveness. But like I said, you can never get beyond opportunities to be offended. You're going to face them. People are going to say things, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that could offend you, that you could hold on to. You're going to have an opportunity. I'll tell you this right now. You're going to have an opportunity, if you wanted to, where someone is going to offend you so bad, you could end the relationship. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen maybe with a family member. It's going to happen maybe with a coworker. But how we deal with it is so important. So since we know these opportunities are going to happen, that we're, there's going to be times when we are offended that things happen and we can hold on to it, we have to prepare for it. We have to be ready. See, just like yesterday, we got all this snow. I mean, when you went outside, you knew it was snowing, you knew it was cold. I hope you dressed for it. I hope you got prepared before you went outside. I mean, I can tell you, before the snowstorm hit, I went to Walmart to get a couple things, and some people must have thought this was going to be like a blizzard, and there, we weren't going to be able to drive for months because all the bread was gone, all the milk was gone, but they were preparing. They were preparing in advance for something they thought might happen. Well, how do you prepare for offense? How do you prepare for these things you know that are going to come at you so that you're not surprised, but you're ready? So I, I believe our, this uh, passage in Colossians 3 that we're going to be looking at today really gives us a road map on how to live free from offense. How to live free from offense. Remember, it doesn't mean there won't be opportunities, but how we can keep them from getting to our heart. So if you've got your Bibles open, it's going to be Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. And here's what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So in this passage, I think it lays out a few different things that we can do to live free from offense. But the first thing is this, and it's really simple. Remember your story. Yeah, before you, you already are probably, maybe if there's someone you're holding unforgiveness against or someone who you're still offended by, you're probably already working up the reasons why your situation's different. But before you even think about what they said to you, how they did it, how wrong it was, how many times it's happened, or how this person talked behind your back, before you even get there, forgiveness does not start with what happened to you. It starts with what God did for you. You have to remember this. You've got to remember your story. And in this, these two verses, there's four things laid out that you and I, we need to remember if we're going to live free from offense. And the first is this, God chose you. That's how the verse begins. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, God chose you. And we believe that God desires everyone to come to know him. That God desires every single person, and the scripture says this, to come to repentance. But while it's as broad as everyone, it's as individual as you personally. God loves you. God desires to be in right relationship with you. God cares about you. Yeah, he cares about us as a congregation, but he also cares about us as individuals. And you personally, God has a plan for. He desires you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He chose you. It's, it's kind of like the picture of almost like a husband and wife saying, I want to be with you. And that's how God feels about you. He desires that. Second is this. God makes you holy, but another way of saying this is he set you apart. That's kind of what holy means. It means he chose us, but he set us apart, saying, I want you for myself. I have a purpose for you. And the idea behind this word holy comes from the Old Testament where um, they had the temple and they had all these articles. And so basically... It would be if we're, we've got a plate here and they're going to use this in the temple. All of a sudden, this plate is holy now. This plate is set apart. It's got a different purpose. It's for God. 
It's for God's usage. And you know, it's not for my own anymore. And the idea he's saying is, I've set you apart like that. I care about you so much that, you know what, it's not, I, I want to bring you with me. I, I have a plan for you. I have, I love you. I care about you. And it's all tied up in this word holy, how he sets us apart. But next it says this, God dearly loves you. You know what? I believe, I believe that the world doesn't believe that. I really do. I don't, I don't think most people believe that God loves them. And they've probably heard it over and over and over. If they do believe it, they, they have a misunderstanding of it. But if I could convince you that God really loves you, loves you, unconditionally loves you, and desires to be in relationship with you, I wouldn't have to convince you of many other things. I really believe that. Because as you found things out, you would want to go with him. You would want to walk with him. You'd say, he knows me. He cares, and he loves me. He knows what's best. You'd follow him. But let's sit, sit, think, sit and think about this a while. God doesn't just, you know, kind of like you. Or he doesn't love you because he has to, but then he doesn't really like you. That's not how God feels about you. He loves you, he likes you, he wants to be with you. Remember this. Now, I want you to also remember this in the light of maybe some of the worst parts of your life. Think about the things that you've done, I've done, that are unlovable. I've done some things that are unlovable. God loved me at my best, yeah, but God loved me at my worst, too. He desired to be in relationship with me. He wanted me. He had still at that point was seeking after me. And the same is true for you. So God, he loves you now, but he loved you when you were at your worst. But here, he, he it ties it up with this. It ends with saying, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And just think about this. God forgives you. God forgives you. And now if there's someone in this room who's saying, you know, I, I've never accepted Christ. Let me tell you, everything we just talked about can be true for you in one step putting your faith in Jesus Christ, confessing your sins, and saying, Lord, I'm gonna walk with you now. I'm turned from that, I'm gonna walk with you. I mean, this could be your story today. But for those of us who've been Christians, maybe you've been Christians for years, sometimes it's easy to forget where we came from. And I wanna just share a little bit about how God forgives. I know we're spending a while, that we're, we're talking about you know, forgiving others, and we're sitting here a long time talking about this, but this is so important. This is key. This is central. How does God forgive us? Well, Psalm 32, uh, 1 and 2 and verse uh, 5 says this. Uh, can you put the, yeah, there we go. It says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And then later on in verse 5, he continues this thought, and he says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, Think about what this passage is saying about your sin, about my sin. Do we have a full understanding of this? One, he says, first, they're forgiven. But just so you know what that means, it means they are covered. You know, let me tell you, think about what this snow did. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I haven't raked all my leaves yet. But if you showed up at my house right now, you'd never know. Because they're covered. That's what Christ does with your sin. He covers them. He forgives them, but then he says, they're covered, okay? When, 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 when God looks at you, you know what he sees? White as snow. That's for anybody in Christ Jesus. He sees you white as snow. He covers them, but he goes beyond that, and he says, I'm not going to count it against you. I'm not going to count it against you. He forgives the penalty of it, but guess what? Every time you, you make a mistake or say something wrong, he's not just going to say, yeah, remember when you did that last time? Remember what you did? Remember how you did that? And sometimes we can do that. Well, yeah, I forgave this person. But as soon as they make a mistake, you remember that last one they made and you want to apply this one on top. God's saying, no, no. I, I don't just forgive you, but I'm not going to count this against you anymore. You know, you don't have to live a lower level of Christianity now because of what you did in the past. I'm not counting it against you. I forgive you. It's, it's gone. It's covered. And guess what? The last one he says is the guilt is taken away. God can remove the guilt of it. And sometimes after we're, we're forgiven, this shame can kind of carry along with us. Like we, feel, we still feel the guilt of it, but God says, give that to me. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. You can let it go. 
God's forgiven you. He's not holding you accountable anymore. He cares. He loves you. He, even think about the woman that was caught in adultery right there in the midst of it. He says, listen, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And, and th- this is what he says to you and I. And you know, maybe you're someone who's, who's been coming to church for a while, but you've got something in your past that you, you wonder if God could ever forgive. He can. Let me tell you, he can. And he can not only just forgive it, but he can cover it. He won't count it against you. And he can remove the guilt, and you can have that weight off your shoulders, and you can live a different life. I'm telling you, he wants to do it for you. And see, what he says here is he says, this is how this passage begins. He says, therefore, it's like he's saying, since I've done all these things for you, since you're my, cho- you're my chosen people, you're holy, you're dearly loved, you're forgiven, here's what you must put on. And then he talks about putting on things, like almost like getting dressed. Put on these things every day. It's how you prepare. So the first thing we want to remember is, okay, where did we come from? But now there's things we need to put on, things we need to put up. See, it, the, you may be wondering why there's a hurdle on the stage today. Maybe you're wondering that. Well, it's, a, it's just this weird thing that Pastor Nathan does to warm up. Don't, don't worry. No, that's not why it's here. It's here today because I believe this passage lays out some hurdles. See, some things that we can put between us and the opportunities we have to, offend, to be offended. Okay, because the second thing, first we remember our story, but second is this. We need to put up some hurdles. Okay, I'm going to bring this over here just so we can get a picture. We need to put up some hurdles. So you probably know what hurdles are for, right? They're to make the most miserable thing in the world more miserable. Right? Who likes to run? I mean, I, oh man, that's just, I, I can't stand running. The only thing worse than running is running with obstacles in your way. And, you know, as I look at this hurdle, I really don't think I could clear it. But we're going to see. No, we're not. No, we're not going to see. No, I don't think I could clear it, to just be completely honest. I didn't stretch. I'd probably pull a muscle. And what hurdles do, if I was to go to the track, which I'm not, but if I was, if I was to get there, I could go for a jog. I could make it a couple laps. But if there were hurdles out, I'd either have to remove them or I'd just go home. Because I, I, I can't jump these things. So what hurdles do is they make things more difficult. In fact, I've got a, I've got a little um, video to show you of just a little bit what hurdles can do. Oh, come on, Bronx. Back up. Come on, Oh, down too. Come on, Grant. Keep going, Brock! Go, go, go! Go, go! That's it. I want to thank Pastor Jaron for letting us use this video. And No, <laughs> no, that wasn't him. That wasn't him. But I'll tell you what, that's probably what I would look like. I mean, you say, how can I get around these things? And, and I just thought it was a good visual for us because that's what it should look like when offenses come our way. It should be hard for you and I to get offended. That's my prayer from this message. My prayer is one, that if you're holding on to offense, that you let it go, but two, that you become much more difficult to offend because God has given us a roadmap in scripture of things we can put on, hurdles we can put up that will make it harder for offenses to reach our heart. Because remember, as we said earlier, There's nothing worse to die holding on to than an offense. So rather than constantly be offended and constantly feel like I have to forgive and like there's all this weight, what if I started putting some hurdles between me and what what, what could possibly offend me? So what I want you to imagine is that over there, there's all these different things that could offend me. But in order to get to my heart, they have to jump this hurdle. And guess what? Not all of them are going to make it over. That's the whole point. So how do we put up the hurdles? What, what does this even mean? What are we talking about? Well, the first thing to put up, it, it lists them just right in order for us. The first hurdle to put up, the first thing to put on is compassion. Compassion. This could also be translated tender-hearted mercy. Put this on. So this means every day I'm going to put this on. This is going to be part of how I relate with people. And so what it means is this. When someone comes in and is short with you, 
So maybe you just got to work. You've had a long day. You, the, the day before, you're tired. You, you just you, you sit down, and boom, first person that comes in, they're pretty short with you. Maybe they're being kind of abrupt. I think sometimes our natural inclination is to start getting a little offended. But what if we made our natural inclination, when people are being short, when people are, are seeming to be almost coming at us, almost a little aggressive at times, what if the first thing we did was look at them through the eyes of compassion, through eyes of tender-hearted mercy? Because the reality is this. Everybody's going through something. Everybody's going through something. If you've been around counselors much or counseling, or if you've ever studied it, you've probably heard this phrase. It's pretty simple. Hurt people hurt people. People who are hurt tend to hurt other people. But a lot of times we can be so inward and say, how could this person treat me that way? And we can respond in a way we shouldn't, when in reality, what Christ wants us to do is put on compassion so that when we see other people, we say, you know what? Maybe they're going through something. Maybe I need to pray for this person. Maybe, maybe there's something going on that I don't know about because there almost certainly is. Sometimes the most difficult people also have the most difficult circumstances. And, and if I'm going to be Christ to them, I can't let the way they treat me change how I treat them. See what I mean? This is what we're talking about. It's, the way you're treating me is not going to change the way that I am treating you. Because I'm going to respond out of compassion because I'm going to put it on every day. See, we put this on, we put this hurdle up, and so how this hurdle works is someone says something to me, and instead of me immediately getting offended, it's got to go over the hurdle of me looking at them and, and asking these questions. I wonder what they're going through. Maybe they've had a tough week. I try to put myself in their shoes, and what happens is, a lot of times that offense never even reaches my heart. And instead I start to feel compassion for them. I start to, to think, you know what, maybe there's a way I could, I, could, I could actually help them. Maybe there's a way I could reach out to them. Do you see how this one thing you put on can change so many encounters? Instead of being immediately offended, let's ask, what are they going through? I wonder how they're doing. Maybe even you know some things going on. Call those things to mind. You know, that doesn't justify the way they're behaving. I'm not saying if you're going through something that gives you a right to be rude. But remember, we're trying to be Jesus to people. So when this thing comes at me, I'm going to put on compassion. I'm going to respond with compassion. The second hurdle to put up is kindness. Kindness. Is that something that you put on every day? See, if it's something I put on, I'm not going to get undressed every time someone's mean to me. I'm wearing this. I'm wearing kindness. I'm, when, when people talk to me, I'm going to respond kindly. And one thing you'll notice about kindness is that kindness begets more kindness. That's what it does. If, if, you, if you know my wife at all, if you've talked with her much at all, you'll know one thing about her is she's kind. She is very kind. And she would tell me these stories sometimes at work when she'd get home and she'd say, oh man, there's this nursing manager and I just don't get it because nobody, nobody can get along with her in my whole department. This was when she worked at a nursing home. She said, no, she runs this whole wing in my whole department. They just can't stand her, but she's always kind to me. And you know, it didn't, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out she's kind to you because you're kind to her. And you know what? There were probably a few times when she was short with Alyssa that Alyssa responded kindly, and we all know there's nothing that feels worse than being mean to someone who's kind. Right? How good does that feel? I mean, if you just yell at someone, they say, oh, honey, it's okay. And you just feel terrible. It's awful. Um, and that's what Romans 12 says. Listen to what Romans 12 says. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now let's think about this with kindness. And I already know, some of you hear this thing, you're like, oh yeah, I'll be kind, that'll burn him up. That's not what he's talking about with these heaping coals, okay? That's not what he's talking about. Well, in the Old Testament, it gives us this picture of, of, 
a coal coming to Isaiah and touching his lips and purifying his speech. What it's saying is this. When you're kind to someone, you very well could change the way they treat people. It has the ability to purify the way they talk to others, the way they treat others. Your kindness can do that. And when you put that on and you don't let the way other people treat you change the way you treat them, that you're doing this verse that says you're not going to be overcome by evil, but you're overcoming evil with good. Put on kindness. Put up that hurdle. And what you'll find is as you are kind, even when people are not kind to you, it will happen more and more that people who are even being not kind to others, they are being kind to you because kindness begets kindness. Third, thing to, third hurdle to put up is this, humility. Humility. There's, there's no doubt about this one. Sometimes we're easily offended, and the, answer, the reason is this. We're prideful. We're proud of the way we do things. We're proud of ourselves. We're proud in our accomplishments. And so anytime someone may want to offer correction to us, we misinterpret that as them tr uh, trying to offend us. And, and if you're someone who says, I do it, I struggle to receive correction from others, I, or I constantly feel like at work I'm being overlooked, or, or it may be that you struggle at times with pride. Because it, it, pride inflates yourself, and it just gives you more opportunities to be offended. That's what pride does. And what we need to do instead is humble ourselves. One thing I do is this. I pray I've prayed, I, I have prayed this several times, I still pray it, that God will never give me an opportunity that will make me prideful. I say, God, if, if you're going to give me something and it's going to make me prideful, I don't want it. Because I know pride, pride comes before the fall, and that's one of the sins that through so many other sins can come through because you won't admit your mistakes, you won't go to the altar, it holds you back from admitting when you're wrong. I don't want that, and so I, say, I pray that. And so now, whenever I get overlooked for something... I say thanks. Thanks, God. I know in the right time, you'll put me where I need to be. Because those who humble themselves, God will exalt. Those who lift themselves up will be humbled. And let me tell you, from experience, it's easier to humble yourself than to be humbled. But what pride can do is this, and, and here's something I want you to think about. Pride can cause us to take offense at things that were not meant to offend us. Pride can cause us to take offense at things that weren't meant to offend us, but guess what humility can do? Humility can cause us to be less offended when things were meant to offend us. Sometimes people will try to offend you, but if you're humble, if you know the Lord's going to lift you up in the right time, when you get overlooked, it's easier to say it's okay. It doesn't mean it's easy. I said it's easier. But God will help you. So we, we put on this humility, and everywhere we go, we know, you know what? I don't know everything. I, I'm not saying, I, 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 I know some things, but I'll tell you what, when I'm humble, I can learn from anybody. Even people who probably know less than me, I can learn from them because I'm humble. I, and, and when you put that on, you become someone that others want to lift up instead of others want to tear down. Put, put on humility. The fourth hurdle you need to have in place is this, gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. Okay, this word, it, it means a lot like meekness, but basically gentleness is this. It's saying the hard things while still having control. Gentleness is saying what you need to say under control. Your emotions aren't flying all over the place. You're not screaming. I mean, you can have some really hard conversations, but if you use gentleness, it can change the conversation. It really can. Because kind of like there's nothing worse than being mean to someone who is kind. It, it really, there's nothing worse than being harsh to someone who's gentle, right? Gentleness can change the conversation. In fact, Proverbs 15.1 says it. It says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. That's what gentleness does. But a harsh word stirs up anger. And so now I want you to think about what are you injecting into conversations all week long? Or is it gentle? 
And once again, gentleness does not mean, you know, skirting our responsibilities or skirting things we need to say. No, it's saying the hard things the right way. That's what gentleness is. But when you say it gent gently, it can turn away wrath. But a harsh word, if you're harsh, you can stir up anger where it didn't even exist before. That's what it's saying. I mean, and I know this isn't what we're talking about today, but it's even something to think about, hey, with our kids. Do I, when they do something wrong, do I say the hard things the right way, gently, or am I harsh? Do I just come down? Is there anger? Is there this? Because what that can do is that can stir up anger. Or do I respond with gentleness? Gentleness is so key. And, and you know, if you're in any kind of posi position of leadership, this is an attribute you've got to work, you've got to work at. This is a hurdle you've got to put up every day because people say things about you, people do things, but when you say the hard things, and you, I, I know if you're in leadership, you have to say hard things. If you say hard things the right way, a gentle word can turn away wrath. It can settle the situation. Put on gentleness. Uh, and the fifth hurdle is this, patience. You know what patience, this word literally means? Long temper. We never hear that word, right? We always hear so-and-so's got a short temper. But have you ever thought, man, I want it to be said of me that I have a long temper. That, that's what patience means. Patience is the living out of the passage in James that says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It, it, it's not wrong, we gotta remember, it's not wrong to get angry at the right things. But when we are angry, we need to do it, handle it, right, in a gentle way. We need to handle it with kindness, with humility, with all the things we talked about already, with compassion. But patience is saying, I'm, I'm going to increase what is what really gets a response out of me. And instead of just, you know, one word can really set me off, it, it, one word won't be able to set me off. That's how I want to be. And you know what happens? You know what increases your patience? Putting all these other hurdles in front. Because by the time they, uh, an offense gets to this hurdle, uh, probably it's already been taken care of by something else in the way. Because your gentle answer very, could have, very well could have turned away the wrath that was coming. Your kindness could have purified their speech. Your compassion could have caused you to see that person in a different light. Your humility could have brought you to a place where maybe, maybe you can re receive some of what they were saying and the other part you just put, you put off. And so this increases, increases your patience. But let me tell you, even with all these things in place, there's still going to be things, right? There's still going to be things that make it, that make over all the hurdles that we have set up, over all the different things we put in between us and being offended, there's still some things that are going to be able to make it. And you know what? There's another thing. There's another thing we, ought, we have to do. And I know you're thinking forgive, but it's before forgive, and here's what it says. This passage says, bear with one another. Do you know what that word means? It's forbearance, but, but the idea is this. Here's what it's saying. Make an allowance for people's faults. That's how the NLT translates it. So after I've done all these hurdles, after my patience is, is built, I'm just going to make an allowance and admit and, and accept that there's going to be people who still go through those things and still Come, and, and, and I should be offended, but I'm just going to make an allowance for that. I'm just going to expect it. So that way when it comes, it's almost like a savings fund. When an emergency comes, I'm just going to take right out of that bank and say, you know what, I, know, I knew it was coming. It's going to happen. So I'm already preparing for it. And see, see these things we put on, the idea is, is this. God doesn't want us to be easily offended. Because when we hold on to offense, it stops us from sharing God's grace. It really does. It stops us from showing the love that Christ shows. It, it does. It puts this in the way. So he gives us all these things. That, and, and if you find yourself saying, you know what, I am easily offended. Or, or you're someone who, when you come home, it's pretty regular to talk about all the things that happened at work, um, things that were said, ways that, people, ways that you were treated wrong. I mean, whatever it may be. If you find I'm having these conversations daily, the problem isn't that you're getting, a, that, that there's all these things happening to you. The problem maybe comes from the hurdle system. Do you have the hurdles in place? Have you made an allowance for people's faults? Because if you've made an allowance, you're not going to be surprised. If you're not surprised, it's not a big deal. If, it's, if you're not surprised, it's not something that's going to come up in conversation all the time. 
But even beyond, guys, all of this, there's a final thing. There's a final thing we have to do. When things get beyond all the hurdles, there's one thing left to do, and that's forgive. And not just forgive. It's forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's not some lower level of forgiveness. It's forgive as the Lord forgave you. And let me tell you, I don't care how extensive your hurdle system is, how much of this stuff you put on every day, there's gonna be things that you just have to forgive. I experienced a situation with a guy I used to work with, we'll call his name Mark. Um, I was right out of high school, I was working full time, college didn't go well for me first try, and that was my own fault, so here I was, I was working, and where, where I worked, um, it was at a pool store, and you would ride around in crews of two people pretty often, and uh, at the time, I mean, I, I was doing well at my job, I was getting raises, I was well thought of, I was well liked by everybody. I mean, and, and I don't say that to brag of myself, I'm just saying, you know, I, I just worked hard and I was kind and all these, th you know, all these things I tried to do. And so I'm working and uh, I don't know exactly why I ended up with this person, but probably because no one else could work with him. And uh, we start working together and uh, I find out I'm gonna be working with him three weeks. And let me tell you, this ain't an eight-hour day. 12-hour days and Saturdays. So basically, I'm spending almost every waking moment with this guy. Did I say we're gonna call him Mark? That's what I said, okay. With this guy named Mark. Mark was the hardest person to work with I've ever worked with in my entire life. Just to give you a couple pictures of things that he would say to me. You know, Travis, sometimes I wonder how you could be so stupid. 12 hours a day. I mean, and I'm telling you, I am running. I, I am working so fast, so hard. But it was like all the things I did right. If I did 100 things right, if I did one thing wrong, that's what we were talking about between this stop and the next stop. And so when I got back to work, people would ask me, they'd say, how'd it go? <laughs> Everybody knew about Mark. So when you get back, people want to hear your story about what he do today, what he do today. And, uh, and so I get back and people are saying, here's what you got to do, Travis. Here's what you have to do. You got to get up in his face. Like, Mark, he's going to come down on you. You got you to throw your stuff down. You got to yell at him, get in his face, and they'll put you with someone else. Or, the, or, or he'll treat you better. That's, that, this was my advice. And I'd be lying if, to say, if I said I didn't consider it. I considered it. But, and let me tell you, I didn't have all this worked out. But I'd seen it modeled in my parents for a long time. And I remember my mom even telling me, Travis, you've got to be like a duck, and you've got to let it roll off your back. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Okay, let's let it roll off. Okay. So I show up to work, and I decided, I decided, no matter what he says, I'm going to be kind. I'm not, he's not going to get a rise out of me. He gets a rise out of everybody else. He's not going to get a rise out of me. I'm going to be gentle, okay? I knew he had a lot of stuff going on, so I'm trying to be compassionate. I knew his, there were things in his home life that weren't good. So I'm trying to do all these things. Definitely I was humbled, okay? I can tell you I realized all the things I didn't know right away. So I put all these things, and at the end of my day, my patience was this big. I had to refresh it. I had to refresh it because when I went in the next day, it was going to be the same thing. But let me tell you something. It's something weird started happening. Remember, it was three weeks, and it was sometime towards the end of the second week and beginning of the third week. I get in the, I get in the truck, and Mark looks over at me. Yes, the day before had been a particularly bad day. And he says, hey, I just wanted to let you know uh, I was sorry about what I said to you yesterday. Which thing he was talking about, I don't know. I don't know which one, but I, I accepted. And I was like, yes. I was like, I was like, it's all right, man. I forgive you. And that day was better for 30 minutes. And then it went down. But you know what happened the next day? He apologized again. And that happened every single day until we were done working with each other. He still, he still flew off the handle sometimes. But he began to apologize every morning when you get in the truck. Can you imagine this? We're driving to our first stop. He apologizes, but the story doesn't end there. 
So I ended up working with Mike again after this. And, and every time I worked with Mike after this time, it was different. Or, whoops, Mark. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Okay. All right. Every time I worked with, we'll say Mike, after this, it was different. I, I'm not saying that there weren't some times he still got on me, but it was very different. Well, I ended up uh, moving on, got a different job, and I, and I continued doing this. So I, I was no longer working at the pool company with uh, Mike anymore. I was doing my other job. But it so happened that a few years later, I got called to ministry, and I ended up going back to the pool store because it was going to be what worked best while I was going to school and trying to serve. My other job required travel. And so, sure enough, I get back, and I'm working with Mike, and Mike's different Mike's different now that I'm back. Um, Mike's not perfect, but he begins, and we start working together again, he begins to share with me and open up with me and tell me about some of what's been actually going on in his life. He begins asking me to pray with him. He's attending our church. He'd been coming on and off before that, but now he's really faithful. And uh, me and Mike become friends. I'm the youth pastor at our church. Mike, Mike starts coming to check things out. Mike, Mike starts volunteering. Mike becomes one of my most dedicated, most trusted youth volunteers I have ever had. Mike teaches a four-week class to our senior high students about the dangers of not forgiving people. Mike was a changed man. And I sit here, and as I, as I worked through this message, and I sat and I thought about my relationship with Mike, I thought, you know what? I was one offense away, if I would have just held on to, from me being no part of that story. If I'd have took that guy's advice, got up in his face, thrown a drill, whatever, walked off the place, we'd have never had that relationship. I'd have never been able to pray with him. I'd have never been able to see God work in his life. It would have cut the flow of God's grace right off. But instead, the opposite happened. I tried to just be like Jesus. And let me tell you, I was not perfect. But God was able to use it. And so my question for you today is this. Will you just forgive? As the Lord forgave you. I know, what you, I, know, I know what you're thinking. If there's something you're holding on to, you know it's there. It, it kind of sits there because when you see someone, it kind of rises up in you. There's someone you don't want to do well. There's someone you don't want to succeed. There's someone who, it, it, it's like, it, you wouldn't say this out loud, but it almost, it maybe even makes you a little happy when things don't work out for them. There's something in there. there there's, I'm holding something, and you're probably thinking, but Travis, they don't deserve it. Remember, it's not forgive as the world forgives, it's forgive as the Lord forgives. Neither did I. I didn't deserve it. They haven't earned it. Neither did I. They've asked for forgiveness before. Mike asked every day. I asked God for forgiveness before. It, didn't, it doesn't matter. They might do it again. I did it again. Even after God forgave me, I did it again. And I had to come back. You, and you might even say, well, Travis, you know, they haven't come and they haven't really, truly apologized. Well, let me tell you what Jesus was praying on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. They don't know what they do. Father, would you forgive them? Even if they haven't asked. And remember what it means. It means, I forgive you for what you did. What you did, it's covered. I'm not gonna bring it up again. I'm not gonna count it against you, which means, hey, I'm not expecting you to earn my forgiveness, okay? There's no penalty anymore, and you know what? I'm not gonna hold it over you. The guilt, we're gonna let this go. So we gotta forgive like Jesus, and Jesus' desire is this, to be in relationship with anybody that would have him. There's nobody on this planet that's not in relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus doesn't want them, right? Let's go and do likewise, right? As far as it depends on us, let's live at peace with everyone. That's what it says in Romans 12. And so today, 
I want to just, we're going to end with a time of prayer where we can come to the altars. And maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe there's something you're holding on to. Um, but maybe more. Maybe, maybe you need to put up some of these hurdles. Maybe there's some things that you say, you know what? I'm not responding kindly. I'm letting it go. Maybe if we're being honest, we insert some of the things in work conversations that kind of can lead to a, a, a toxic work environment almost because we're talking about other people or we're, we're talking about how so-and-so offended us and that, that kind of ends up being our everyday conversation. Maybe you're here today and you didn't fully understand what Christ's forgiveness for you can look like. That he can forgive it, cover it, there's no more guilt. It's not counted against you, and you want to come receive that today. But I just wanted us to end. We're going to have uh, Pastor Nathan and Brandon come. They're just going to do a song. And as they come, what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little different as we pray. These, if you want somebody to pray with you, I want you to come to one of these inside altars. If you'd like to pray by yourself, maybe there's something you're working through. Maybe there's someone you're wanting to forgive, or maybe you're just asking God to heal your workplace, whatever it may be. I want you to grab one of these outer altars, okay? Pray there. You'll, you can pray alone. We won't, we won't come pray with you. But I'd encourage you. Remember what we talked about earlier. There's nothing worse to die holding on to than offense, than unforgiveness. If you've got this thing today, there's an opportunity to let it go. And guess what? You can receive Christ's forgiveness today, too, no matter where you're at. Let's pray, and then the, we'll sing, and the altars will be open. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, God, that your forgiveness knows no bounds. Lord, I thank you that you don't hold things against me that I did in the past, Lord. I thank you that you're willing to forgive no matter where I am. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do the same. God, I pray that you'd help us to put up the hurdles, Lord, so that... We're offended less. But Lord, I also pray that you change our hearts. Lord, pour your love into us so that we can forgive more. Lord, we want to be just like Jesus, and we're, that's what we're striving for. So Lord, help us to live holding on to nothing. Father, speak to us in this time. We dedicate it to you. In Jesus' name.